The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Bloomberg Audio Studios. Podcasts. Radio. News. Well, Elon Musk is now the richest person on the planet. More than half the satellites in space are owned and controlled by one man. Well, he's a legitimate super genius. I mean, legitimate. He says he's always voted for Democrats, but this year it will be different. He'll vote Republican. There is a reason the U.S. government is so reliant on him. Elon Musk is a scam artist and he's done nothing. Anything he does yeah. is fascinating to yeah. people. Welcome to Elon Inc., Bloomberg's weekly podcast about Elon Musk. It's February 20th, 2024. I'm your host, David Papadopoulos. Starlink, SpaceX's satellite internet unit, is in the news once again. Recently, Ukraine came out and said that the Russians have gotten their hands on the satellites and are using them on the battlefield. Meanwhile, in Israel, the government of Benjamin Netanyahu has awarded Starlink a contract to operate in the country and in the Gaza Strip. There are enormous geopolitical consequences and a lot of money potentially at stake for Starlink. To do the money side of it, we're going to have Ed Ludlow on later. Ed is the co-host of the Bloomberg Tech TV show. We're going to start with the geopolitics and Bloomberg opinion writer Mark Champion. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. Mark, let's just pan out for a second here. Uh, and for the uninitiated, help us understand what exactly Starlink satellites are and how they work. Yeah, so basically it's a satellite web connection. So it allows you to use the internet wherever you are. You're not re reliant on cables or local transmitters, cell data. You you have, there are thousands, I think the number is 5,000 or so satellites in orbit and they have you know constant coverage and wherever you are, you can use that system. Okay, Mark, so you recently wrote that Musk went from being Ukraine's accidental hero to Moscow's accidental hero. Explain. Well, you know, I've often said that Musk doesn't actually get enough credit for, at the very beginning of the war in Ukraine, very quickly getting Starlink units in their thousands to the Ukrainians. Um, because what happened in the early hours of the Russian invasion was that the first thing that they did, as would always be the case in, in this kind of military operation, was to take out the Ukrainian uh, communication systems. So the, the Ukrainians w were blind, uh, and the provision of Starlink enabled them to fight. So it was immensely important, and he was you know, truly a, a, a hero in Ukraine at the time, because it was well understood just how important that was. The war presumably would have ended a long time ago had that decision not been made. Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, that, that's a counterfactual, so it's hard to say exactly what would have happened. I mean, the Russians made so many mistakes that 
and so many people, almost everybody was wrong about how the war went was going to go in, in the first days. Mm. So, you know, I hesitate to say, yeah, yeah, I know what would happen, but it would have been far more difficult for the Ukrainians to survive militarily. Okay, so that was the beginning, and now Musk is Moscow's accidental hero. The point is that he has over a period, this has happened gradually, and over a period of the war, which is now, we're two years into it, he has gradually seen more and more like he feels he's on the wrong side in helping Ukraine. And mm. you, if you look at what he says on Twitter, if you look at what he says, you know, most recently, he's really sort of come out swinging, if you like. You know, he's held a, a live stream with Republican senators who are on the kind of Trump side of the Republican Party. And they were, you know, collectively talking about why it is that the U.S. should stop funding the war. And at this point, part of that funding actually goes to SpaceX for Starlink because it's, you know, it's become mm -hmm. a Pentagon contract. So, you know, at this point, by now, he is very much arguing against support for Ukraine. And he often seems to be parroting Vladimir Putin's talking points. Actually, Mark, yeah, we have some of that audio from Musk talking about the war right here. As you said, there is no way in hell that Putin is, is going to lose. If he were to back off, he would be assassinated. And for those who want regime change in Russia, they should think about who is the person that could take out Putin. And is that person likely to be a peacenik? Probably not. They're probably going to be even more hardcore than Putin if they took him out. So, Mark, Musk is taking this stance. He's taking this tack. Putin himself recently called Elon smart and unstoppable. Is Elon actually influencing anything here? Well, Musk is enormously influential. It isn't just, you know, you give the Starlink to the Ukrainians and, you know, and then you walk away. The Ukrainians can only use it in the way that Musk allows them to use it. And he has at various times restricted the use of, of the Starlink, you know, where it can operate. Quite famously, at one point, he declined to extend the area to include Crimea so that they could conduct an operation there. He also, at various times, the Ukrainians, when they went on the offensive, suddenly found that they were without communications because he had cut off beyond their front line, saying that, you know, it, it shouldn't be used for offensive purposes. So, yes, he's immensely influential. You know, more broadly, world politicians don't, you know, don't say, call me back when Elon Musk mm. makes a call. The man is, is listened to both because of his wealth and because of what it is that his business does. Starlink and SpaceX, they're, they're geopolitically important. So Ukraine contends that the Russians now also have managed to get their hands on these Starlink satellites. They would not be purchasing them directly from Starlink. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, I'd be astounded if Starlink, if SpaceX was selling these things to the Russians directly because that would put them in direct contravention of U.S. sanctions, which, you know, that carries, you know, criminal charges and massive potential fines. So, you know, they would have to be truly stupid to do such a thing. And, you know, on the other hand, you know, it's impossible to verify what the Ukrainian intelligence agencies are, are putting out. Right. So there is no independent corroboration that what Ukraine says is true. At the moment, no. And, you know, on the other hand, I would be surprised if the Russians weren't trying to get Starlink. It's a valuable, useful tool on the front lines. And, you know, if they can get, you know, highly sophisticated microchips still to put in their missiles, then from Western companies via third countries evading sanctions. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they can get Starlink. 
So, you know, I don't think it should be an enormous surprise. I think the question for Musk, you know, when he answers these things, you know, it's basically the answer is to the best of our knowledge, we are not, you know, selling these things directly to Russia or indirectly. But I think it's in a way the wrong question. The, the right question is, okay, if these things are being sold, are you interested? I mean, do you want to find out? And are you doing anything to stop it? Which I think would be the better question for, for Musk. You a minute ago said that these satellites are very important on the front line. In terms of the ranking of military equipment used in the battlefield there in Ukraine, where do they rank? I mean, are these things more important than missiles? Are they more important than tanks? Are they sort of a mil- uh, middle-of-the-road sort of uh, tool? Just where do they stack up? It's hard to rank military equipment simply because, you know, they work as a network. Tanks are no good without the troops and other equipment to protect them. Howitzers are no good without the surveillance in order to find the targets and so on. So, but having said that, you know, if you were going to say, well, what are the most important pieces of equipment, you know, in this war, Starlink would be right up there for the Ukrainians because the war for them, it depends on being more accurate than the Russians because they have less ammunition. They have fewer howitzers. They have fewer tanks. So they have to make every shell count more. And they've been quite successful at that, you know, for most of the time. It's becoming desperate at this point because they're running out of ammunition. So it becomes even more important. Without Starlink, the drones don't work. Without the drones, uh, they are naked. They are blind. uh, So they can't see. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. So describe to us just a little bit more this seemingly symbiotic relationship right now between Vladimir Putin and Elon Musk. Is it mutually beneficial? It certainly is for Vladimir Putin. Musk is massively important and influential in the U.S. You know, he now owns the Twitter platform that is influential, you know, in the political classes in in the U.S., so for Putin, it's definitely very beneficial. For what, what exactly it is that Elon Musk gets out of this and, you know, why he's so interested, I, I really don't know. I don't know what his political ambitions might be. I don't know whether he has, you know, business that he wants to do in Russia. You know, his motivations I'm, I'm much less clear about. But what is clear, he's clearly a brilliant businessman. But when you listen to some of the things that he says about Ukraine and and Russia and so on, it's politically, he is kindly, I would say, naive. He has the opportunity to be well-informed and to be more cautious and cynical in in dealing with a man, or skeptical, I should say, dealing with a man like Putin, if, you know, career KGB agent. And you argue he just chooses not to be. I I would say that, he, you know, I, I can only guess whether he doesn't really understand uh, that he's being played or whether he chooses this is a role that he's chosen. I, that I can't say. And what, Mark, is our understanding in terms of how it's going to be used in Israel and parts of the Gaza Strip? The, the government of Benjamin Netanyahu just awarded Starlink a contract there. 
Any early sense of, of its deployment? Yeah, what, what they said is that it's going to, you know, they, the Israelis are going to approve each Starlink unit on a case-by-case basis. And the one unit that we know so far that has been approved, and that's what just happened, is uh, that it will go to a, a hospital, a field hospital run by the United Arab Emirates in Gaza. So that specific Starlink, because what the Israelis say they're concerned about is that the, anything that they just hand over in, into Gaza to, you know, rent, say, if they just say, give it to international aid organizations, in the same way that fuel designed for international aid organizations then gets taken by Hamas. They're afraid that Starlink would that can, can then get taken. And uh, one of the first things, again, this always happens in war, first things that the IDF did when it went into the Gaza Strip was to knock out communications. And that, of course, affects everybody. The IDF being the... That's the is- Israel Defense Forces, yeah. Uh, so it's, you know, that's, there's one unit, and the presumption is that there will be more given to hospitals and so on. So that the idea is that you can have a sort of, you know, if you have a hospital which is understaffed with specialists mm-hmm. in, in a surgery, you can be in real time, you know, having remote help in the surgery in a field hospital somewhere from, you know, another part of Gaza or from another you know, place in the world. So it, it is important. And, you know, in humanitarian terms, you know, it, it was necessary to do something like this. And, you know, you, again, you have to give Musk his due for doing it and wanting to do it and being willing to. He's the only guy who has this stuff at the moment. That is true, right? While he was doing all these other things, Tesla and, and the Boring Company and, and Neuralink and all that, he did. He did create this within SpaceX, this, this little satellite unit that, 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 is, that is booming and is being used all over the world. Mark, last question for you before I let you go is this. At the beginning, we talked about how he went from being Ukraine's accidental hero to Moscow's accidental hero. And I guess the term accidental strikes me as interesting. And I wonder if generally, broadly speaking, as Elon has become this enormously important geopolitical player, this is something that you, Mark Champion, think he has stumbled into accidentally? Or when he formed the constellation of companies that he was forming, if in his mind, this was always going to be part of who he was and who his empire was going to be? I think that would require him to be a sort of Bond villain, which I don't think is the case. The reason I use the word accidental heroes, I mean, like... He had no idea that Putin was going to invade Ukraine in this way. And I'm sure he's not he's not in the military. He wouldn't have thought, ah, yes. So the first thing that we'll do is the communications get knocked out. And then, you know, it's it's, what happened was that the Ukrainians reached out to him. You know, I talked to the digital transformation minister, who's the guy who reached out, you know, and uh, and and messaged him and said, can we get Starlink? We desperately need it. And he agreed. Uh, so in that sense, it was accidental. But what has happened since is that I think is the war between Russia and Ukraine has become political in the U.S. And Musk is at this point deeply political. So at this point, you know, he has kind of changed his view about what he's doing there because he actually, you know, politically, he is on the other side. And so it's, it's kind of, you know, at this point, kind of uncomfortable for him. So I think it's been a, a, a journey, really. Mark. Great having you on. We appreciate it. And we'll have you on uh, again soon. Thank you very much. Okay, so we are now joined by Ed Ludlow, Bloomberg Tech reporter and the host of the Bloomberg Tech TV show. Okay, Ed, so we got a good sense there from Mark of Starlink's growing role across the world. But now tell us just how much 
of that growing reach is flowing into the company's finances. You know, what does it look like there within Starlink? Yeah, it's easy. You just say that in 2024, Starlink becomes the more important part of SpaceX, Mm. right? That we know SpaceX as the company that cracked rocket reusability, sending rockets into orbit and then landing the booster safely back down on Earth. And that changed the economics of literally rocket science. But to this point, it's been pretty even that the sales or revenue contribution that that activity sending payloads into orbit has relative to to Starlink. And, you know, what we've reported in the last 12 months or so is that Starlink's really growing. And and so this is the moment where where I think Starlink exceeds the launch business in terms of its revenue contribution. And we know the long-term picture is that Starlink is this cash cow Mm. that that feeds Elon Musk's even bigger ambitions, which is for mankind to be an interplanetary species. I mean, it's super interesting to me because the sense that I've had here from listening to other pundits on the topic, and maybe they just, it was a misread, was that it just wasn't clear that Starlink was ever going to be that big a part of the business. Was it always understood that Starlink was going to be the beast within SpaceX that actually drove the ship? Or was it something that as they started rolling it out and using it, whether they be military applications, as Mark was talking about, or other more traditional civil applications, it just turned into this big beast that they hadn't quite anticipated. To really understand how quickly Starlink has kind of commercialized, just go on the website and, and click through and look at all of the different ways that if you're a consumer, a single individual consumer, or you're a business, a commercial customer, that you can access Starlink. You can have the Starlink ground receiver formally installed in your home. You can get a smaller version that you throw in your backpack when you're hiking the Sierras here in California. You can have it on your boat if you really want. All of these are products that SpaceX offers. And on the other side, the commercial side, they built that out quickly as well. You know, starting with Starlink for businesses, slightly higher scale than a residential home, right through to now offering, you know, Starlink on airplanes, commercial Mm. airlines. And I think that has taken some people by surprise how quickly they built out the product both the hardware and and the subscription software product. And as you say, and Mark kind of uh, outlined so perfectly, is a a defense technology. It has become a a really big story in the last 12 months. What I would say, though, is that, you know, Elon Musk has always positioned, to my mind at least, Starlink at the center of of what helps SpaceX reach its ultimate goals. That even though they had to put billions and billions and will have to put billions more dollars into to the Starlink constellation to get it to a scale that they want to fund their future goals, you know, it's now really making some meaningful money if if the comments of, of Musk and his lieutenants are to be believed. It is the thing that throws off the cash going forward day in and day out that finances Musk's greater ambitions and dreams. Yeah, the, the way that Musk has explained it in the past is that the launch business, in other words, carrying satellite payloads for third parties or humans, the International Space Station, that business probably tops out at around $3 billion of sales a year. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, you, you, once you've gone through the, the pain of the CapEx and, and literally the process of putting thousands of Starlink satellites into, into orbit it's actually then a very high margin business. It is a data business, a software business. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, Mark gave a really simple and fantastic explanation of how it works. But, but think of it from a consumer's perspective, right? You have a one-time hardware cost, your ground receiver, which is about 500 bucks. And then I don't know what you pay Comcast or your internet provider. Too much. Uh, Pat, but too much, exactly. But, but the Starlink costs are comparable. It's, a, it's a, a subscription anywhere from, say, $100 to $150 a month. And that recurring revenue makes it a very exciting and attractive mm. business model. Just keep in the back of your mind that that's almost not a priority for, for Musk and SpaceX. You know, they, they, they see this as the, not the catalyst or even the engine that yeah. gets them to this, to mankind or humankind being on Mars. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Ed, do we have a sense of what SpaceX is worth right now as we speak? And yeah. if so, just what part of that valuation does Starlink represent? Yeah, so the latest that we reported is SpaceX is valued by investors at about $180 billion, uh, which makes it quite by some distance the kind of most valuable private company and what we reported is based on a tender or secondary offer that the company's doing where they allow employees who have been there a really long time and have stock as part of their compensation to sell those private shares directly to investors. SpaceX right. doesn't get any money out of it. It's just a liquidity event for the staff. But as part of the mechanics of it, SpaceX and those potential investors still have to agree a price. And that share price, we believe, is around $97 a share valuing the company at 180 billion. And it's a big jump, right? From mm. the 150 billion that we reported just earlier in, in 2023. Yeah. The Starlink accounts for a big chunk of it. We're, we're waiting on this idea of a, a spin-off or an IPO. There is no sort of publicly reported breakdown. All I can tell you is that we think that revenue in 2024 will be around $15 billion. And around 10 billion of that will come from Starlink. And it gives you a sense proportionately right. yeah of the contribution of Starlink to SpaceX's overall business. Uh, yeah, no, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's an enormous part, uh, the majority of that revenue. So $180 billion uh, makes it the second biggest company within the Musk empire, only trailing Tesla, which is even after its recent mm -hmm. sell-off, I think is still north of $600 billion. Tesla, of course, is a publicly traded company. So you just said that SpaceX is by far the most valuable private company, valuation of $180 billion. You mean to say that nowhere in the U.S. is there a privately held company worth more than that? Yeah, yeah. And, and what's so astonishing about that as well is that in the two or three years that we've reported SpaceX's steep climb in valuation, some of the companies that were kind of gunning for comparable valuation, mm. think about like Stripe, for example, um, they have seen their valuations come down in down rounds. But, but it goes back to your original question, which is what is driving that valuation upward is anticipation around Starlink. The idea that Starlink will be the biggest contributor, but also like if there's going to be a big Starlink IPO or spinoff, 
you want to get in while you can. You know, if you're a, if you're a venture capital firm or a, or a big private market, uh, private growth equity investor. One thing I would say to you as well is, you know, look at some of the reporting Bloomberg's done around XAI, Boring Co. There's just an insatiable appetite to to back an Elon Musk company. He ain't got no problems raising money. One- they want their hands on that data and those flows. Yeah. And and so give me Starlink. Hell, if Musk makes it to Mars with with the rockets, God bless him. That's great. But how do you like if I'm an investor, how exactly do I monetize that day in and day out? Yeah. And and there's a lot of misconception and 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 frankly poor reporting out there. You know, SpaceX is a private company and there are shares of the private entity in existence. If you right. are an investor and in Elon Musk's world, those are sort of big legacy financial institutions that invest through mutual funds, then you sit on the cap table and you you get access to shares in what's called a primary round. But SpaceX has actually been around for quite a long time now. And as is the case in, in global Silicon Valley, its employees and staff are are compensated in the form of RSUs or stock, restricted mm-hmm. stock options or stock units. And what is so astonishing about this is that you can't buy a share in Starlink. You can you just SpaceX as the whole company. But there is just an insatiable appetite to get in while we while you can. So even though these are this is a privately held company that is yes. not publicly traded on any kind of exchange. These, these shares held by top-ranking employees and other investors are somewhat actively traded? Yes, and it's a phenomenon that we aren't talking about enough, that suddenly a completely illiquid market became quite liquid in 2023. There are different ways that you can do it. So SpaceX uh, is conscious that it wants to keep its top talent. So what it does is a secondary round or a tender offer in which it offers the opportunity for those employees to sell their shares directly to an investor. The the company doesn't raise any money from Mm. it, but it allows a valuation to be agreed because you have to agree on the price of those shares. And there are all these secondary market makers that that advertise, this is the opportunity. Get an investment in SpaceX while you can before an eventual Starlink IPO. And it's wild. It's been a really, really wild story. So you and some of our other reporters here at Bloomberg reported a little while back that Indeed, it was possible that Musk was going to pull Starlink out of SpaceX and spin it off and sell it in an IPO this year. What do we know about where those plans stand now? All I, all that I remember is hearing Musk push back again and again and again, no, I am not selling Starlink anytime soon. Purge that thought from your brain. Should I purge this thought from my brain, Ed? I think you should be open-minded to the idea that it would happen at any time in the next few years. And you know, what Elon Musk has said is you, there's no point spinning off Starlink, making it its own publicly traded entity without cash flow being predictable. You know, as we've talked about, they're putting billions of dollars in, of investment into the Starlink program to build out the constellation. The ground receiver that the uh, consumer buys is about 500 bucks, but most people think that that's probably at a discount. In other words, mm-hmm. SpaceX is subsidizing the cost of that hardware so you can get it out into the real world. So we reported that a spin-off could be possible as, as very late 2024 this year, more likely 2025. 
that is something that Musk disputed. He said it was false. And, you know, it's part of this broader narrative that he uses the word several years away when that cash flow is more predictable. And very final thing, hit us with one Elon Musk universe prediction for 2024. What you got, Ed? Yeah, I, I think Musk wades into into the U.S. election in a way that w- that we don't expect. You know that that might be a pretty dry answer, but you know it's. It, I am not a U.S. citizen, uh, as I've talked about publicly before. Musk and I wasn't born in the United States. I'm I'm aware that there are rules around this, but you know, stranger <laughs> things have happened. You know, go back to your last question. The one thing I've learned about Elon Musk since I moved to California six years ago is be open-minded to the things that people tell you won't happen. Because in his case, they constantly happen. You know, <laughs> whether yeah. it's the Optimus robot or yeah. the success they've had with SpaceX or Cybertruck, they happen. So the reason to focus on the US election is what Mark was talking about, right? He he is a political beast. And, you know, his narrative as it regards to President Biden, former President Trump has changed slightly. You know, he, he's been public that he voted for Biden in the last election and was previously a supporter of Biden. I think many of us would agree he is no longer a supporter of yeah. President Biden. He's increasingly focused on the border as a, as a policy issue that he talks about almost daily. Where's that going? You know, what happens? And, and again, go back to him, who he is and his ownership of X. That gives him this, this yeah. big voice. And I think that that's what happens in 2024, the U.S. election. So you think he comes out and outright supports and backs Donald Trump? I think it's it's something we should be open-minded to, or or depending on what happens with, with the Republican candidacy, as many people in Silicon Valley do, you know, they, they back a candidate that they think reflects the views of Silicon Valley. I don't know the answer. I just have a feeling. All right, that's enough. Thanks for listening to Elon Inc. And thanks to Ed Ludlow. Thanks for having me. This episode was produced by Stacey Wong. Naomi Shaven and Rehana Hermansi are our senior editors. The idea for this very show also came from Rehan. Blake Maples handles engineering and we get special editing assistance from Jeff Grocott. Our supervising producer is Magnus Henriksen. Huge thanks, as always, to Joel Weber. The Elon Inc. theme is written and performed by Taka Yasuzawa and Alex Sugiyura. Sage Bauman is the head of Bloomberg Podcast and our executive producer. I am David Papadopoulos. If you have a minute, rate and review our show. It'll help other listeners find us. See you next week. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.